In a world of store-bought items and a world that seems to never slow down, we make with our hands and tools. Here at Wool and Spinning Radio, we take a moment to breathe, to chat, to reflect. As the world continues in a whirlwind around us, we sit quietly at our spinning wheels with our knitting needles or on our looms. The gentle motion of twisting a spindle, watching it dropping slowly to the ground, or the click-clack of needles tapping against each other as we turn a heel, brings solace and comfort. We make with our hands because we love the process and value our handmade items. While they are never perfect, our yarns might be gently thick and thin or just plain over-twisted. In this place, we discuss what it means to be a maker, to use our hands. Join us as I chat with others in our community about these ideas, challenges, and rewards. Thank you for your time spent here in this place. You are always welcome. So welcome to Woolen Spinning Radio. I'm very pleased and excited to welcome Jenny. Uh, I know Jenny very well, and there are others in the community that know her quite well, but it's oh, it's just wonderful to be able to welcome you here and to learn a little bit more about your story. So welcome, Jenny. Thank you. So why don't we start off with uh, just a little rundown on, on who you are and how you got into all of this stuff and how you got into spinning and how you got started. Sure. Um... Where do we start? Well, I got into knitting. <laughs> we'll start from there. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, yeah, I was uh, dating this this lovely man who had a love of knit sweaters, and I didn't knit. And uh, so, of course, I married him. First off, spoiler alert, because <laughs> he loved wool sweaters. And uh, so, I went into a yarn store and thought. I'll buy some needles and a pattern. And I looked up and there was this mannequin with this lovely gray wool knit sweater. And I said to the lady, I'd like to knit that. Could you just give me the yarn and the pattern and the needles? And she did. And then as I was leaving, she said, uh, you know how to knit, right? And I said, uh, no. <laughs> she said, you might want to start with a face cloth. And I said, oh, no. <laughs> and I went home and I thought, he wants a sweater for Christmas. He doesn't know he wants a sweater for Christmas from me, but he wants a sweater. And I was at the same time in teacher's college and having a hard time concentrating on the theory classes because they were quite boring. Like teaching is the fun part. Hearing about teaching is not so much fun. So I pulled out this needle and, you know, my needles and my yarn and I started struggling through this pattern. And of course, because you're in teacher's college, all your friends come over and are immediately offering advice and are so helpful. So this lovely German woman uh, sat down beside me and said, uh, no, I teach you proper way, Lochka. And, you know, she starts helping me out and she's you know, throwing the yarn this way. So I learned uh, I didn't start doing anything at all with knitting besides literally working on the body of a sweater. And I knit Joe a turtleneck hand ribbed sweater that 21 years later he still wears. He's still wearing it this winter. It was an acrylic. Do not tell the wool gods. But uh, it's lasted and he's loved it. And um, so that was that. And after that, I've never ever stopped knitting since then. Um, and then uh, after my daughter was born, I went to this women's conference and this, we went into this very small little red tent style, you know, room with all these amazing, very gifted women and speakers. And there was a spinning wheel in there, a little Ashford uh, traddy. And I'm looking at it and I was just thinking, what is that? <laughs> you know, I, I just, and the lady watched me, you know, as she was spinning and she was, 
it's clearly meant for you. It's calling you like it's siren calling me. I just have to spin on this. And I'd never seen a spinning wheel before, actually. And so she left the room very kindly and just left me with some wool and her spinning wheel and just let me have at it. And later in the day, I signed up for a workshop with her with drop spindles. And so we all made our own drop spindles. And then we all sat in a circle together as women and we're chanting and singing. And uh, that's how I learned to use a drop spindle. So of course, because of that lovely energy, I was never going to do anything but spin for the rest of my life. <laughs> it was just really powerful, really moving and so beautiful. Um, so yeah, that got me into spinning. And I took some classes locally and uh, I'm a Waldorf homeschooling teacher. So because I'm a uh, Waldorf trained, we do lots of handwork. Everything is with natural materials. And so our children learn to knit by kindergarten, grade one, they're, they're knitting. Grade two, you learn your purl stitch. So then by grade three, I was teaching other kids in the community to come on over and to learn how to spin. And uh, so, yeah, so that's kind of kept things going and now my 18 year old uh, is spinning on his lendrum that he loves and adores and he's, you know, he's working with his hand spun. He's knit me a shawl from beautiful stuff as he's listened in on my lessons with you sometimes and that uh, got him excited and you inspired him. So thank you. Mm -hmm. And uh, he jumped back into spinning again and is now he's been doing it as of last night even for stress relief. He's right back at that wheel. I don't know what he's making. I suspect his birthday presents now, but yeah, the woolen spinning community has really kept him enthused as well, not just me. So it's been a, a beautiful journey and led me to you because I went on the school <laughs> to Georgia and I wanted to spin socks or spin for a sweater. I wasn't sure which one. And there was this redhead on the screen that looks like she's my sister and my kids were all, and my husband even was all, that looks like you. <laughs> I was, I know I've come home. <laughs> so I think I pretty much immediately jumped in and, you know, reached out to you. I was like, hello, yeah. back friend. <laughs> hello, soul sister. <laughs> yeah. Let's work together forever. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Here That's we are. So <laughs> yeah. Well, and then you just recently jumped down the rabbit hole of weaving too. Because that's where my redhead sister led me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> no, so far you've never led me astray. I'm not complaining. <laughs> so, it was just the next step. And uh, yeah, I've got my sampler sitting beside me from the class I took with Lisa from the uh, OHS, mm -hmm. uh, Core of the Weaving. And her beginner twill class was amazing. I highly recommend it. She's just an astounding teacher. She's so yeah. excited about her craft and so enthusiastic and really just so encouraging the right yeah. kind of teacher very much so yeah yes. absolutely i'll link her stuff down below in the show notes so that people can look at kuartha because she's really building some great things yeah what resource she's just a powerhouse yeah yeah she is she's incredibly knowledgeable yeah yeah that's fantastic with her time very gracious <laughs> and patient <laughs> yeah beginners are beginners and you don't know what you don't know and uh she's yeah you're right. So knowledgeable. So kind. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. Thank you. So um, before we get into the flax stuff, what are some of the things that you've been spinning for? Like, would you just give us a rundown of sort of the things you tend to spin for? What do you like? What are the fibers you like working with? What's the stuff you prefer to come to your wheel with? What's your first choice? Yeah. 
uh, Romney is <laughs> my first choice, or Shetland, as uh, yes. I dropped off 25 pounds as uh, I was just texting Lee, joking about uh, 25 pounds to a fiber mill yesterday. To, and I thought I had a wide assortment and I don't. They're just different colors, <laughs> Romney and Icelandic and Shetland. And here I thought I had, you know, 12 different breeds. I don't, I have three. <laughs> I just really love that they are, for me, that medium wool is very flexible. It's it's yeah. all purpose. That's kind of where I'm at for knitting. I like my knitting. I usually want to spin for sweaters. I like things to be a little more rustic. I'm not a fine wool kind of person. I just don't, even though I've got very sensitive skin, that's not what I enjoy spinning. I really love just sinking into it and enjoying it. And uh, it feels good in my hand. It feels like I'm connecting to my ancestry. And mm -hmm. I love the smell. I love everything about it. But as we all know, I mostly love fiber processing. So <laughs> that's kind yeah. of what I like to work with too. And I don't want to be um, afraid of working with a fiber because I'm you know, anxious about felting it or um, just feeling like it needs kid gloves. There's a time and a place for that. But um, I'm not at that stage in my life with four kids running around that I want to be precious around my wool. I want to use it and it needs to be hardy like us. So that's just the season of life we're in. So yeah, mainly it's for sweaters, socks and hats right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you dye too. We do. Yeah, I do with my kids. I say we, because I'm looking around at dyed yarn. Um, yeah, we do a fair bit. And uh, that's actually what got me into the weaving with you and I talking about it was I was taking the Maywa natural dye class and you sample on these different fabric swatches. And I fell in love with these swatches and thought, I don't want to have to go out and, you know, buy organic cotton or linen or whatever. I, I want to make that myself. Mm -hmm. I like to be in, in control of the whole process or at least a part of the whole process. So that's what made me take the leap to weaving was I thought, well, I'm just going to make that myself, which is typical of me. Totally. <laughs> Totally. Totally myself. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I love dying. It's fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then what was the, what was the impetus and the jump for jumping into the uh, OHS? Um, so the Ontario, so we say OHS, like everybody knows what we're talking about, but we're talking about the Ontario Handweavers and Spinners uh, Guild. It's a province-wide guild. They're basically 100% online. They were in, they've been in existence for a very long time. They've basically always been online. I'm not even sure they had in-person meetings way back when, did they? I'm not I sure. I only joined a couple of know. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. True. Yeah, I'm yeah. actually not sure. I should ask Lisa because she's the vice president right now. Um, so we just kind of talk about these things and these people, like everybody knows who they are. But if you've been around wool and spinning for a while, you you sort of have picked up on uh, OHS and like Lisa Graves, she's the, the the vice president of OHS. Lee is um, one of the executives, uh, executive, uh, um, has one of the executive positions. So um, yeah, so they had the Ontario hand weaving. It, it was the hand spinning seminar that they do every year. So there's kind of two sides to the OHS. There's the weaving side and then there's the spinning side. And every year, usually in June, I think, because um, I'm presenting again this year, um, is um, called the hand spinning seminar. So it gets kind of confusing because there's all these different things happening. But last year, they did the OHS hand spinning seminar on flax. So yes. um, how did, did you find out about it because you're a member or was it? I did. 
Yeah. Um, and I love gardening and farming. So even though I live in a city, but I was raised rural. So the idea of, as I was joking, um, I was really enticed by the idea of growing my own yarn. So that's really yeah. because I like to do it all, right? I wanted, I want to uh, be a part of the process. And I hadn't seen any like fiber flax growing. You know, I've seen flax growing, but that was the oil variety, you know, for consumption flax. So I hadn't seen any fiber flax before, and I thought wow she's going to and i knew the woman because i had gone to some fleece festivals and the woman presenting her name's kat haggerty she's on instagram as cat underscore the flax lady and okay, if you have any know. questions this woman is the person to go to any information i have really has stemmed from cat so to give cat all the due credit here <laughs> um she is local to me she is phenomenal and so knowledgeable and so we would go to fiber um, gatherings and she would be there presenting and demonstrating her flax tools and uh, what it, the different stages of growing. So when I saw it was her presenting on the OHS for the flax seminar, I knew I had to go take the class <laughs> because mm -hmm. having spoken with her, she's just absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. So um, you signed on and there was a kit that accompanied it that would allow you to grow your own flax because she sent you out a package of seeds and a, a window scraper, which you could use as, you know, a sketching knife later on. And um, so I, I followed along. I put my flax, I tilled up a part of my front lawn <laughs> in the city and uh, threw my flax seeds down and uh checked outside you know i don't know why an hour later because it seemed like there was a lot of noise outside and it's the beginning of april and an and entire i should say where you live and i live in ontario hamilton yeah. area so toronto we'll say between toronto and niagara for people who don't know hamilton um so it was you know it's kind of warm out but not not very warm it's still light spring in ontario and so all these birds had descended like an entire block and had eaten probably 50% of my seeds. So lesson one, just to spare everybody else, put down some bird netting or leave your dog outside is what I ended up doing the second time right? <laughs> that helped instead. So I had to reseed the next, you know, um, after about a week because it took that long to, you know, with COVID to find enough seeds again to be able to replant. Um, but I threw them in the ground and I, uh, you know, carefully tended my soil and um, enjoyed the process immensely. I, I've never babysat any plants as much as I babysat these, these flax little, little guys. Um, and a lot of neighborhood community attention. I was really surprised by people coming and being delighted to hear about it and curious and wanting to go along with the growing process and uh, I'm still being asked this year about it. So that's really interesting. Are you going to do it again? I am. I've already got my calendar March for my April. So there's a, a an idea that you should grow it on the hundredth day of the year or when it's a waxing moon or when it's, you know, so many days after or before, before Easter or after, right, I don't know. The what Monday it is. after Easter. Yeah. 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 But basically it's like, you know, your soil temperature has to be about five degrees and the air temperature is supposed to be about 10 degrees so that it can germinate and not just rot in the ground ideally right, right. And, uh, and it is 100 days growing 
but you don't want to let it go for the full 100 days if you're using it for uh, fiber processing, just because the longer you let it go, the woodier the stalks get, and you're probably going to get more waste. Mm. If you go- Do you want me to share the photos while you sure. chat? Because then um, people have something pretty to look at while they're looking at your gorgeous face too. And then please tell me when you want me to flip through because it's so much fun to look at the photos while you're talking because it's one thing to kind of know that you did this thing, but it's like, what did it actually look like? <laughs> look like. And yeah, yeah. you can see how kind of ridiculous it is that this is in the middle of the city. <laughs> it is my front lawn. <laughs> and, um, so it's uh, all nearly grown there because you can see um, there's a little bit of yellowing down at the roots there. And you can see I've pulled some out here to test it to see if it was good or not. Um, the reason I pulled mine a little bit sooner than some other people did was I was getting what was called lodging. So you can see in the center of the flax patch, we were getting a lot of rain at that time and it causes your fibers to lean over and you're worried that they're gonna break if they lean over and can't kind of recover, or they'll stay on the ground and continue to get rained on and they'll rot actually. And I didn't have that problem because I went out and shook them and you know helped them along, but I was noticing they weren't rebounding the way they were when the plants were younger. So I took that as my one of my signs to pull them. The other sign is that um, you end up with seed heads that have finally set to it and the seed heads will change color from really green to and i don't have a picture of that um and i don't even have a good seed head but they change color from green to basically they get uh striations they look uh with some yellow striations on them and if you shake them you'll actually hear a seed inside give a little rattle oh that's so cool it's really neat so and i also knew i didn't want any more loss because flax is known for not giving great yields um between the 80 and 90 day mark you want to pull it so that you actually get enough usable flax and uh there's and with every step of flax processing there are risks <laughs> that you learn along the way for things being you know um unsuccessful but i have beginner's luck i will say and acknowledge fully so so far everything has gone according to plan <laughs> for knock on wood for me, I'm sure this year will be completely different uh, as it should be. So that got pulled and then you bundle it up and it goes into stooks, which is then probably, yes. So that's in my backyard now. Um, so you, I just like saying know, the probably, word stooks. <laughs> I, I only did it to say I could, <laughs> like not even for a, there was no real reason here to do it, right? Such a funny just, word. I just wanted to say I made a stook in my backyard <laughs> and all the neighbors came to the back of the yard to check it out because they all wanted to know what a stook was too. So it was really funny. Um, you can see on the stooks, all of the seed ball heads, those all have to come off. <laughs> so, so here it's just drying for enough time before I decide to put it in the redding tank. I didn't have a redding tank because my that would fit. So I had to pack something, which is part of the experience, which is super fun. <laughs> this is what I did. <laughs> so we um, decided to just stick it in a tarp because I had tried a kiddie pool and my flax was just too long for it. So um, my and husband, Jerry- You don't want Jerry, to cut it, right? You no, don't want to cut it to fit it in the, two, in the, in the kiddie pool, no. right? You want to leave it, no. leave it intact? Yeah, because you're, you're going to have enough loss anyway. You really don't want to yeah. shorten that fiber <laughs> if you no. can help it. Yeah. Um, so you can see I've got bricks inside of it, weighing it down. 
And this is the part that I would warn people is really odorous. There's a, like a fermentation happening. The pectin is breaking down. The water actually starts to even get a little bubbly. And when you put your hand in, it is slimy. It feels like you've got um, a coating on your hand with that pectin, as you can imagine, it's breaking down the cell, you know, the cell walls of the plant and suddenly it's all over your hand. And uh, I had somebody explain it to me once. I had somebody explain it to me once, sorry to interrupt you, but um, you know, when you have like a beautiful soup, that's like a cabbage and bean soup in your fridge and the broth, it, and it's just broth soup, not like a cream-based soup. But you, if you leave it in your fridge long enough, it'll start to, and it's got a sealed lid on it, it'll start to ferment. And that's exactly what this is, except that that's cold and this is warm. And that yes. feeling that you get in the, as it slides out of this container when you're putting it in the compost, yes. um, exactly. that's, it's exactly the same. Yeah. Same plant idea, right? So similar. Mm -hmm. And it's a the pH has to change too. You will notice the pH starts to rise and then it drops. So there's a couple of markers for when it's redded. Um, this is a, the redding tank again. Um, this is the process where it's actually the most scary part of the whole growing because if you over red, you're done. It's, it's over. You can't go back. You can't fix it. There's no hope. <laughs> it's just compost. If you under red, however, you can go back and red again. So, and there's numerous ways of redding. Some people are snow redding right now where you stick it out in the snow and uh, you let it go that way. Um, you can do the lawn, the dew redding method where you line it up along your grass and you, but you have to flip it over every day um, wow. so that both sides are evenly redded, but you let the morning dew of the, you know, the summer, the spring, um, I guess in the fall, really, it would be, uh, that's when you let it dew ret but I wanted it done more than, you know, sooner than in three weeks to three months. So I went with, with the tank method and it was a really hot spell we had at that time. So this took no more than 72 hours. And wow. I checked in the morning, it was not ready in the morning. I checked in the evening, it was ready. That wow. quick. And I could see, like, you, you need to use all your senses for it. And you can see that the fibers were starting to break apart, actually. And it was looking stringy. And uh, so then I took it out and hosed it down. And then I dried it. So you can show that drying photo. Yeah. And that's it. So that's it cleaned. And I've, I've got it bundled. And you can see I've got a tarp behind it because every time it rained, which was frequent that week, of course, um, you, you have to pull your tarp back over it because you obviously don't want to keep getting it wet. Uh, you're trying to dry it. So it was dried in those bundles. I've since stored it in those bundles. Um, and I think you've got another photo that shows what it looked like when it was properly redded. And uh, oh, so that's it drying again. That's after the redding tank. So, you know, it's really stinky at this stage. And uh, there was bug action in there I didn't expect and all kinds of things. But so when you can you see it in April. What time frame yeah. is this now? Like how long um, did I, I, this is probably end of July, beginning mm -hmm. of August when I was going with it. So it started and, uh, mid to late April, mid-April? Uh, I started, yeah, I started April 11th, I think I have in my notes. Mm -hmm. And uh, I pulled it probably in, yeah, towards the end of June. Mm. But it, or sorry, July, right? The, yeah, towards the end of July it would have been, because that would yeah. be three months. 
Yeah. And that's when you guys had all that crazy heat. And then. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which is why it retted in August so quickly. I didn't ret right away. I kind of gave because the weather was just too hot and I wasn't, yeah. I didn't feel like I had enough confidence or information yet. So I was kind of going back and forth with Kat to get, to make sure I knew what I was looking for before I went and took the plunge. You can actually wait and, you know, not ret till later if you wanted to. Most of these processes you can stop and wait till there's a more favorable time. But I was all in, of course, so I was going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're going to do it. I was going for it. So you can see on here that there is some of that tangled up mess and some of the really clear breaks, those, those sharp angles in the fiber. Mm -hmm. And that shows that it's been redded properly. Uh, the color is not even, so I probably could have left some of the planting actually a bit longer, but that's because I overseeded again two weeks later when my seeds arrived. So they were at different developmental stages of growth and it was fine. What was I going to do right in the end? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but the next photo will show you the actual um, plant and this is where it was really exciting. So I, I wasn't sure if I had read it enough and I thought, Oh dear, what if I've made a mistake? <laughs> Typical, getting worried about it. And uh, so I wrapped it around just around my finger and this is what happens. So all the boon fell off on its own. And what I'm left with was a very nice long length of flax, which then Kat confirmed was very well redded. Everything had gone according to plan so far. And apparently this is how Egyptians actually did their flax is they didn't do any processing they actually just peeled it off she had mentioned at some point that oh, uh, and i thought of course right <laughs> but there's easier ways to do it egyptians we've, we've come since there's been some developments <laughs> yeah also, you know Maybe not because you consider how much they relied on flax and how much we, we don't process flax. Uh, totally. maybe, uh, maybe I should be a little less tongue in cheek to this lovely, yeah, amazing maybe, Egyptian. Maybe they were onto something. <laughs> they were onto something. So I've got in my hand here, this is a, um, this is from that actual um, harvest. And you can see that it snaps into nice 90 degree, you know, it's not bending around my finger like ribbons. You want to see it snapping. And, and this has actually been outside until this afternoon. So it's had a lot of moisture from the winter. And I can still, as I snap it, I'm starting to see the flax that I could actually start to come in process. Mm -hmm. So it's still done very well. Um, the next process after that was after I had dried it sufficiently, which took a, actually some time. Um, then it's getting the seed balls off the ends of it, which are there. So yeah. these would have had seed balls on top and then I needed to get those off so that I could have the seeds for this year. Um, so that was, that one was work. That takes a little bit of, the actual processing is, uh, yeah, it, it's labor intensive. It was really fun. I can't wait to do it again, honestly, because <laughs> I like, I like that part. Um, and you have to watch for rodents. Apparently squirrels and chipmunks and everything are constantly trying to get into your seed bin to steal the seeds. But uh, I amassed quite a lot because I think she gave me 120 grams of seed. And that did about a seven and a half square 
you know, a four by 16 foot plot. And I've got a giant container full of seeds now that uh, I'm not finished winnowing or anything. Wow. But, but I don't plan to winnow. I think I'm going to actually leave my chaff because I've let this break down over the course of uh, the last couple of seasons. So I'm going to plant it this way because I will be able to plant it a little more evenly than trying to get your five seeds to fit under your thumb method. Um, I think I'll be able to broadcast this a little bit better and get better coverage this year. So that's the plan for that. Um, I know it sounds like an investment with tools and such, but I mean, Kat had lots of different hacks for different tools. So she gave us the uh, window scraper, just like she got it from Canadian Tire, she said, and you use that as a scutching knife. People have made them out of wood, just like a flat bread knife, basically. Um, For hackles, if you don't have them, you can use, as she says, a black comb from the dollar store. (laughs) There's lots of options for, for doing these things. I mean, the tools were pretty basic, you know, historically. So we needn't get too fussy about that. I don't think that's something that should, um, you know, deter you from from learning to process blacks. And mm-hmm. there's online um, different websites that actually have plants. There's uh, the woolgatherers.com has uh, flax tools, plans if you want to make your own. Um, I have this one that I got from Kat that somebody has made. And it's just a hackle. Your foot goes in one end and you hold and pull your flax through. You know, you're ripping it through. And that's how I got the seeds off. I think there's probably a couple still stuck in there. <laughs> and uh, and then I'll use it again for actually processing the fiber. You, know, you can change the head out on it with finer nails so that you can get a finer, just like your combs or your jump carter, you can get a finer and finer cloth mm-hmm. to get your, your flax to be... Uh, better processed but um the the waste on it is something that also needs to be considered (laughs) as as lee and i kind of joked about when uh we both were sitting in the meeting and thought she didn't tell us this till the very last meeting (laughs) that uh in your you know in your bundle you're only going to get 10 percent of that is actually usable flax that you're processing and out of that uh six percent is tow and five you know four percent is nice long line flax so it's you have to enjoy all the processes of it if you're going to to do it because it's it's a journey and uh i think with fiber arts we're used to things taking time and we're used to things um being different <laughs> than, than maybe uh, a commercial mindset of you know we should get 100 percent for 100 percent. it's not going to work that way but you will have this beautiful amazing flax that you grew your own yarn you grew you know all by yourself and and every part of the processing so far has been a lot of fun i mean if i get zero flax out of it i still would do it it's still that much fun to do it so um the end product is not the end of the world for me but for some people i I recognize that might be a deterrent (laughs) but they're beautiful to grow right it's a it's you're growing this field of these little blue flowers are on top it's lovely and uh, and i should say that the the plot i grew was supposed to grow me enough flax to knit a sweater vest once oh, processed okay. yep we'll see <laughs> i don't know <laughs> yeah because you haven't started spinning any of it yet right 
No, I'm still actually at the sketching stage now. So um, you've got to actually process it now. Yeah. And I stopped there when I did because we had another heat wave and I really just felt like my my seasonal allergies were not going to be okay with me trying to deal with all of the the chaff and stuff in my face. Totally. Next time I'll wear a mask. I'll, you know, we're used to that now. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're good at that now. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'll just put a mask on. (laughs) But at the time, if you think about it, I was just so excited to use it. But yeah, well, it so that's so hot, right? Like the, the weather was so hot. You guys were really struggling. Yeah. Yeah. We were at 40 degrees a couple of times there. And yeah, that's just too hard. And I mean, you can't process it with your bare hands. You have to have gloves on. You need to have um, goggles because if these little bits get into your skin, it's pretty painful. And uh, and there's also a lot of bug action. We I did have a lot of bug bites from not wearing gloves because I tend to process everything with my bare hands. And mm. I've since learned that there are times when you need to haul out your rubber gloves. This is one of them. <laughs> yeah. 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 Even yeah. workman's gloves, like lightweight gardening gloves that are that are have like a, you know, uh, mine like the one side is reinforced, yes. but that you you can move like rubber gloves, like they're easy. You yes. know what I mean? So yeah, you can still get in that tactile feeling. Yeah. Like wearing dish gloves, you know, you feel like you're like the lobster. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and if they don't fit properly and yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I was thinking about um, was you've mentioned right from the beginning, you've mentioned quite a few times, like these people that have sort of helped and facilitated this for you. Can you speak a little bit to sort of the community aspect of this like it wouldn't really be that much fun if there weren't these connections and these people that you had met you know Kat Lee um the neighbors coming and checking things out like you know how important is that in the in what we do oh it's everything (laughs) it really was um the the flax was a grow along so you were constantly sharing your photos you're getting feedback you're you know you're talking to Kat I'm talking to Lee. She grew hers as well. And it was just so fun to do something that is not just creative. You know, it's not just about growing the fiber and growing the plants and stuff, but it was just so communal and felt very down to earth and down to your roots, literally with Mm -hmm. gardening together. So that overlap between, you know, the fiber creative world and this, you know, kind of agricultural world was really lovely. And it brought in a lot of conversation about textile history, which is how neighbors often were coming in and saying, my grandparents grew flax. Wow, okay. And you know, Especially having in that part of Ontario. Yes, or with my husband's family, he's telling his older brother, you know, oh, next adventure with Jenny is <laughs> our front lawn's a flax field now. <laughs> and his brother saying, you know, oh, our great uncle owns a massive flax farm out in uh alberta and joe was saying i didn't know that was the crop that they grew oh yeah they've been growing that for generations the sokolskis own a flax <laughs> and him being like, what <laughs> let me think see <laughs> wow. just full circle right it's uh so a lot of it was seniors who i've been neighbors with for 20 years had never come over to say hello and then purposely bringing their little dogs over you know and to, just asking a lot of questions, being so interested. And I, at the time I had this secret hope that I was thinking, I will hope I can make a, like a 
tea towel or a dishcloth or just yeah. a cloth for every single person who was stopped by to give them one to say, this is what our journey was because it wasn't just me. I had neighbors who were shooing other people's dogs off the flax. You know, they were just so invested as a community and they bring their kids to come measure how much taller it was from one week to the next. And uh, during the pandemic, it was a really lovely bonding experience with so many people in uh, not just, you know, who I was in person with, but online as well. So yeah, yeah. it's made it fun, right? It's- yeah. Do you think how much of the, do you think the pandemic really made it even more that way? Do you think it heightened it? Just because people were looking, they were looking for that connection. Ontario's been so locked down through so much like you know Quebec and I think Quebec and Ontario have been the two most locked down provinces they also have the majority of our population for those who aren't super familiar with Canada Um, so very very urban very very busy very concentrated big cities so yeah so how much do you think that that influenced Um, like just the timing was kind of perfect wasn't it perfect and they you could tell because of the lockdowns and uh, at that time there was a lot of fear and so people weren't sure if you wanted to have a conversation in person if you wanted to talk they weren't sure how close they could get to you know there's just a lot of newness about the whole you know pandemic so this opportunity to really come back to something that was literally grassroots (laughs) to walk Mm. into someone's front lawn and It's really special. You're you're cutting out, Jenny. So you're going to have to repeat what you just said. Being able to come into people's oh, okay into people's front lawn. Yeah, I've got so frozen happening. <laughs> yeah, are you still frozen? Because I can okay. see you now. Okay. I can see you. It's saying my internet's unstable. Okay. Hopefully, it won't stay unstable. We're probably luck. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Is it, oh, you're is coming it, and going. Okay, that's what I wondered. That's okay. We'll just wait a minute. I'm just gonna. I've shut my phone off. Does that help? Um, it seems to be okay at my end. It's been okay for a minute. So, um, okay. But, yeah. So you were saying about people coming into the front yard. Yeah, they just wanted they wanted an opportunity to come and connect, but didn't know what the opportunity would be, right? And you could tell that that real grassroots plant growing. It's it was also just that you're frozen again. Honestly, beautiful. So you're frozen again. Still? Yeah, it was right. Uh, when you were gonna say, can you hear okay. me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Am I frozen on some ugly face? <laughs> no, no, you're not frozen on my end. You're good on my end. <laughs> oh, okay. You know, yeah. when, you know when you get worried that you're someone freezes and they're making that a face, and you're totally. thinking, please don't freeze on that. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so again, yes, they came to visit the pretty flowers. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 And it just that that opportunity to sort of see a real person, see a face. Yeah. You know have that opportunity to, to genuinely have, have have a conversation with somebody in real life that's not over a screen or over the phone or especially for a, a demographic of people who tend to not necessarily be as comfortable on technology right it wasn't as natural for them yeah 
Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That, and that makes sense. non-pandemic talk, right? They got to come and just yeah. talk about something normal. It was yeah. just growing plants. So totally. uh, it's perfect timing. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Okay, now I've got feedback. So if you were going to like sum up your whole experience from the beginning to end, so from the time that you found out about it and to, to now and what you know now, um, what what <clears throat> what is something that you would say to somebody who's kind of just starting on this journey? Uh, just be fearless about it. Don't worry about what could go wrong. Lots could go wrong, but mostly it will go right. So just jump in, just be fearless. And, uh, and if it doesn't work out, you will try again next year. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, and enjoy the process. Actually enjoy the process because it's all process with flax. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, there's always another growing season. Always. Yeah, yeah. And even if you don't get to processing and using the stuff that you've grown, grow it again the next year and add it all in together, you know, and have friends over and process it all together. Right. Yeah. That's exactly. Yeah. What yeah. That's awesome. So yeah. Jenny, if people want to connect with you and they want to plague you with their uh, questions about how to do this, um, where can they find you? Cause you're on the Slack channel and um, I want to just let people know where they can find you. Yeah, I'm on the Slack channel. I'm on Instagram as redheadmama77, and I'm on Ravelry as redhead77. Perfect. Thanks, Jenny. <laughs> no problem. Nice to yeah. see you. Yeah, and thank you for your time. Well, thank you very much. Have a great day. Keep spinning.